Welcome to the Celebrate Brave podcast. I'm Nicole Church-Steinbach, your host and the international bravery coach for women in tech. I serve women all over the world to earn more money, create more opportunities, and thrive in the tech industry because tech needs all of us. Are you ready? Let's go. Hi. And welcome to this episode of Celebrate Brave. Thank you for your time. This is a powerful conversation between myself and Charlotte Allen. Charlotte, I've known her for a bit of time and you'll hear how different we are and how we're coming at the same topics with different expertise, different energy, and a shared deep passion and belief that we can do change in technology a lot better. You know, Charlotte has over 20 years of experience. You'll hear in her story all the different roles that she's had, the different industries she's been a part of, And now she is driving forward the diverse, unique, and unconventional power of the clients' teams she's working in. You'll have to listen to the conversation to learn how because it's pretty darn cool. (laughs) Now, Charlotte has actually written, we talk about one book, but... She has just announced that she is publishing a second book. I mean, only the coolest people come on here. So it is called Step Into Your Brilliant Purpose. And this conversation is already going to help you do that. So what is your brilliant purpose? Are you taking it into every meeting? In this conversation, Charlotte talks about being bold. She talks about saying as little as possible. And here's what I'd love for you to reflect on after this episode. Are you being bold? Are you being a rebel? Are you saying exactly what you need to say? and nothing else? And how can you start if that isn't what you're doing these days? All right, let's dive into this great conversation. Hello, brave people, and welcome to this conversation. Hey, Charlotte, how are you? I'm good, Nicole. How are you? (laughs) I'm good. It's cold. Other than that, I'm good. (laughs) Now, you and I met each other because we both have a long history in tech and are now supporting more equity and equality in tech, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Such a big and important aspect for technology. You know, I just, um, we didn't talk about this before I started recording, but I just saw that some of the preliminary, my listeners know I have a slight stutter, so that'll be fun for y'all. Enjoy that giggle. Data that says one in two 
women in tech are reflecting on leaving the industry. I am not surprised one bit about that. Yeah. Not one bit. But man, it makes our conversation even more urgent and important, right? Because I know your brave story directly relates to this, right? I do have a brave story. Absolutely. And it will be my story. It's not going to be someone else's story. So is it time for me to share? Yeah, let's hear your brave story. I'm excited. Okay. So I always love to tell folks where we're headed before we get started. So the end of the story is be bold and balanced. Okay. So that's the end of the story. I I have to interrupt you to say, whenever I read a new story, I read the last two pages. Uh huh. Yeah. So somehow I, there was like some energy vibe going on between us, and I got that like right away before you even said it. Right. I love it. I love it. Okay. <laughs> so I, as most, and I'll do this from the perspective of a woman, right? Because I know that's primarily your audience. Although I'm sure yeah. there are guys who sort of scalp a few listens every so often. You know, in your career, I will say, you often are in a position to speak to those higher in your organization, right? You're in a position where you are championing your ideas. You are wanting to promote something. Sometimes it's yourself and sometimes it's some work-related something. And it's probably not something you're really experienced with and it's probably not something you've done a lot of. And you've seen it go poorly with other people. You hear stories about, oh my gosh, this happened, this person said, blah, blah, that was awful. Do you think they're going to get fired or like who can be the fly on that wall when their manager talks to them? So we hear about that stuff. And when it's your opportunity, oftentimes what we do initially, and I did this first, I played small. I did not come forward with what I was passionate about. It was like, I was a weak little, I don't know what, but Gumby person. Okay. So it's like, I just, I just kind of offered it up and I kept talking and I kept saying, yeah, yeah, this is what we ought to do. And it was like, people were looking at me like, are you going to stop talking? (laughs) Could you shut up? Because you're not really helping. Right. Oh, I know that feeling. I went out really, really wussy. I went without passion. I went without conviction. I went without that thing that everybody wants to hear. At the end of the day, I learned from that experience. I went my next several times and I just decided after having felt this feeling of, you know, I'm allergic to wool. So whenever I have on a wool something or other, and there's nothing underneath it, I just itch. It's like itching in your own skin right? It's like that feeling of, I know what I'm doing is not right. It's not aligned. It's not who I am. It's not what I want to do. I'm not passionate about it. But it's like I had this itchy thing going on. And after enough of that scratching, (laughs) of that itchy, of that, this is not the way I should be. This is not the way I want to be. I just decided, okay, look, I have got to go true to self. I have got to go with my passion. I have to go to this conversation saying what I feel like needs to be said, period. Okay, I got to do it, right? So that's the bold part. So the first time that you showed up in a conversation like that saying, okay, I'm going to do it, like what was 
what was the specific situation? Has something gone wrong in a project and you were, I don't know, presenting to your steering committee or, or what was it that? Well, that's, I mean, there's probably a tons of them. I was asking in this particular example, I was asking for a lot of money to go forward to investigate something that something we needed, right? It was something that we needed, something we needed to do, something that was different, something that was going to change the way we did business, something that our company had not done before. Okay. So that was my ask, right? And and it wasn't a small amount of dollars. It was a couple million dollars, I think. So I was going forward asking for this and this had not been, other people were kind of having success at this. No other folks close to me and they were all men. So I was going forward asking for this and I truly, truly was convicted and passionate that this was the right thing to do. I had done a lot of research. I had explored, you know, customer consumer trends. You know, I knew all sorts of stuff. I had my case built, right? I had my deck and my presentation was set to go, but everything I was putting together was just so weak. And after itching about it forever, I finally got to this point where I guess I just got to this point where like, look, I just don't care. (laughs) I just, I just have to do this for me, right? I have to do this because it's right. And at the same point I said, I don't know how to do this well. (laughs) I don't know how to do this well because I didn't have the good experience for it. So I found a few mentors that gave me some tips. I read up on some stuff and basically used one technique that I think is really good if you're starting out, you know, in this space of needing to do this for the first time and not really sure how, but you're convicted that you're going to do it. I think it's about saying as little as possible and then stopping. So how do I get through my, whatever my points are and then ask and then be quiet? Like, can you give me an example? Because, yeah, can you be more specific? Yeah. So let's say I want to ask for, I'll just make this up. I want to ask for a million dollars because I find a technology platform that is phenomenal for my project, right? Just make it really simple. So I'm going to go in and I'm going to say something like, you know, the, the situation is changing. Our competitors are moving forward. They've leapt ahead by, you know, 40%. We continue to not, you know, address this gap that we have within our system. I'll just make these generalities within our system. And through my research, I feel as though the solution of company Z is the right one to go forward with for these three reasons. And you list them out. Okay. And then you stop, right? You stop. You already have your deck of like how many ever pages you pulled together of support and everything like that. The folks at this level tend not to listen very, I mean, their, their minds are like, somebody said to me this week, I'm just like a squirrel. I cannot listen for that long. So get out what you want to say. You get out, be bold about it. And then just shut up. I think so many times, just to be blunt, so many times we talk we kind of convince ourselves out of our convincing. We, mm-hmm. we say something and then we backtrack. Oh, but you know, I'm not really sure. Oh, but I think it should work. And, and we've done this stuff. And then you go on for like another 20 minutes and they're like, they totally have lost the point that you were driving home 
with this really clear, concise argument. Yes. Right? Yes. So the first time I did that, I have to tell you, I was very sweaty. <laughs> I was, I walk into this room, you know, there's like five people at this table. I made sure to wear a color that I looked really good in. And I was trying really hard to talk slower than usual, because when you're doing these things, you tend to go, your voice shakes. And so I was like, deep breath, spit it out slowly. Mm-hmm. And then I stopped and I counted really slow. They say count to 10, but I counted to 15. Okay. When I counted, I looked every person in the eye for like two seconds of that. And that was it. And it was unnerving. I'm like, holy cow, is this going to work? I don't even know if I made the right choice. But at the end of the day, they said, okay, well, let's hear about the rest of what you have to tell us. I, I sent my stuff in advance. You know, they looked at the presentation. So then I had like a door open. Right. Because they now have shown you a buy-in. Yeah. And now they're going to have a little bit more of their squirrel focused on those nuts. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, so so I love that this is the, yeah, two more seconds. (laughs) (laughs) You know, this is basically what I tell people to do when they're asking for a promotion as well. Yep. It's the same thing. So- It's the same thing. So paragraph one is why you're extraordinary. You you choose whichever of the ratings that you're looking for. If you're working in one of the places with ratings, if not, you just say how awesome you are. You have two or three sentences, high level summary of why that's true. And the second paragraph starts with, I aim to be promoted to, and then the exact job title or, you know, level in your company and two or three sentences. And then you let them respond. Yep. The bold, I mean, I know that when I was working on multiple projects and leading these teams and time zones and kids and my own insecurities Mm -hmm. and things like that, I was definitely a squirrel. I needed it to be very simple. Give me the high level. It's terrifying. It's so funny because when you're on the other side of the table, and I know you've been there as well, you don't realize it's terrifying for the other person. You think they're being helpful. Yeah. Yeah. But it's terrifying. <laughs> well, it's like, it's like you, you've, you know, so if when you're on the other side of the table, the person comes in, they are so concise and so direct. You do not have to do any additional work to figure out what the heck this meeting is about. So you, yeah. you're right. You're, you're so thankful that they just kind of get to it. And now it's your job to react, take a moment, you know, think about that, give a perspective. And it was so different for me seeing that happen as the person presenting. I'm like, oh, wow, that kind of (laughs) worked. Right. Yeah. And what I also really appreciate about this type of communication and presentation is that I know I'm empowering the other person to say yes or say no, but they understand what they're answering. Yep. And when I'm the person being presented to, I know what I'm choosing. Yeah. So you came up and you're like, oh, a million for the software and here's why. This is my solution. And then you go into silence. At least the other people know what the heck they're responding to. Right. And even if they say there's no way we're going to spend a million dollars, you know, my response would have been, you've already spent five million 
in poor solutions, and that's just targeted to continue. So spending a million now actually saves you whatever it was right here in the future. So if you would prefer to spend the five, I don't understand how that makes business sense, but I'm open to you convincing me that's a good idea. I'm like, really, that's just not making sense to me. So So how did that change you as a professional and as a person to to shift that? Well, so like I told you at the beginning, what I was going to say was bold and balanced. I think Mm -hmm. you need to remember that while you're giving the person you're presenting to a decision, you have to be prepared to present both sides of the coin because you know there's going to be somebody who's going to have a very valid reason why your idea is not what they want to go do. They're going to have really good valid reasons for it and their arguments need to be voiced, right? So you need to provide, this is what I say and this is the balance. So I think what I had always done in the past was the balance. It's like the pro-con you know, piece of paper with the two sides. It's let me think about what the solution was. What is different is I'm making a statement. If you can get behind your passion, so I am passionate about this solution. I am passionate this is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Even if I'm wrong, you cannot teach passion as a leader. Seeing somebody come in and presenting something with passion it's almost like you want to reward that even though you don't believe in what they're doing. So that gives that leader who sees you come in an opportunity to say, okay, there's something in this person that I don't see in everybody. So even though this one little thing they're coming in to ask me for, I'm not really keen about, perhaps I'm going to give them another opportunity that I am really passionate about and have them help me find a solution because I see something in them. So that is the additional doors that open for you as a professional when you come in showing up that way. Yes. You know, there's this phrase that I don't know if it's from like where I am or if it's a general um, English phrase, American phrase. It's like, if you stand for nothing, you fall for everything. Yep. And you're just not memorable. You know, I'm thinking about it. It's so funny that you brought men into the conversation. So I actually do still coach some men. And there is a man who does really powerful work, but he would not take a stand. Hmm. And he was so confused. And I think we were working together for six or seven months until finally had him and he really did execute a 360 review himself, stakeholders, direct management, skip level, assigned mentor because the place he works, right? And what came down was basically like, he's happy. What do you mean you want something else? What do you mean you want a promotion? What do you mean you want what? Nobody knew. And he's on the other, he had nobody knew. And he's on the other side thinking I'm working 10, 12 hour days, twice a week, at least, if not more, I'm driving so much power. Why are they not seeing this? And it came down to, you have to make a stand, even if everyone in that room. So I'm going to say this very clearly, an entry level person does the research and presents the findings. A senior level person makes the argument, puts a stick in the sand An executive does all of that and then convinces and leads. And if you want to be a leader, you actually have to be headed somewhere. So you have to put a stick in the stand. And this is the really hard part, right? 
sometimes we just have to release it. Yeah. I mean, I remember a project I was on and I was so passionate and it was so clear and all the data, like you said, you're already spending $5 million. Let's do this, right? This is an actual investment. And I lost. Yeah. I lost every single battle. And that hurt so bad, but I had to release it and then make a choice, right? Hold myself accountable and make a choice of what I was going to do. Was I going to stay and execute in something that I didn't believe in, that I had lots of facts on, it would crash and burn? Yeah. Or do I shift teams? Do I shift projects? Do I shift employers? But you can only do that if you've, like, to use your language, if you've been bold and balanced. Yeah. Yep. And then the other piece I'll say, so, so let's say you crash and burn this time and let's say you've released it. Let's say you're thinking about what you can do about it. I would ask you, especially if you're, you know, entry level or it's the first time you've kind of had this experience, are there better ways that you see this going in your organization that you could learn from before you just completely, you know, cut bait and like jump? Because oftentimes, even though those doors may open for other additional opportunities, there's always a way to convince, you know, to influence, to drive your agenda differently. Mm -hmm. Um, It may be that you see that not happening anywhere in your organization and jumping's the right thing. It may be that you're so convinced the path is wrong that you cannot, but ask yourself the question, is there another way that I could have influenced in this situation? I love that. So I call that the evaluation process. And I actually learned this from one of my amazing coaches. No matter how awful, horrible failure, whatever words we want to use for it, she always made me identify three things that went well, three things that worked, three things that improved, three things I liked, Mm -hmm. whatever the situation was. So I had this colleague that I, to this day, don't really need to ever spend time with again. <laughs> we all have a few of those, right? <laughs> and, and this coach, we had to start every single session with three positive things about that colleague because we had to work hand in glove. It was yeah. very, very hard. Three things that that colleague that I had learned from the colleague, I had seen the colleague do well, the colleague had brought into a conversation. And it was that evaluation. And at the end of the day, what I'm actually doing is evaluating my response to somebody mm-hmm. else, right? But you have to mature to get to that point. And I do think that that's really valuable. And you have to put a stick in the sand to know what your no goes are, to know when it's time for you to really change and mm-hmm. say, you know, and this was me when I left corporate. There's nothing wrong with them. The company I left is a great company. It was about me. Yeah. It wasn't about them. It was about me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. I think you help people do this now, right? Am I catching it? I do help people do this. So the, the places that I spend my most time are on innovation and change. Because to this day, I'm still flabbergasted at the statistic, but it's written about in many different places organizational change efforts and organizational innovation efforts fail at a greater than 70% rate. Like we've been at that stuff for forever. We have been at that stuff forever. There has been piles and piles, billions of dollars spent on figuring that out. And I am still flabbergasted that we cannot. 
And I think that the reason, especially in the STEM space, because that's the space that I concentrate in, is that people spend so much time in their spreadsheets and their trackers and their models and their KPIs and, and like something that is not about making sure their people, right, with distinct, mm -hmm. unique ideas and offerings work well with other people who also have distinct, unique and unconventional ideas that they're bringing forward. We we hire for this diversity, but we don't teach people how to work amongst it very well to be successful. Oh, you just casually drop that in conversation. Like, here's the truth. Oh, Adam, boom, <laughs> boom, hello. <laughs> yeah. So I have some, a lot of, that was my career is focused on change management and comms. So slightly different perspective, like of, of the work that I did. But, and for me, I million percent agree with you. And it comes down to, are you dear leader doing what you're asking other people to do? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and, <laughs> and to your point of saying something positive about people who, you know, you're, you're required to work with those leaders were not taught. They have heard there's a the little bird chirping in their ear that says, you must hire for diversity. We need diversity. It's going to make us stronger. So they find these diverse people and that's really what they're supposed to do. But then it's that gap that's the what's next. Okay, now you've got a bunch of diverse people. How do you teach them to do this well? How do you teach mm -hmm. the collaboration? Like, so I'm a science person. So the biomimicry example is the, the ants or the bees working in collaboration as a unit. Like, how do you get your team to do that? Yeah. And are you doing it yourself? Because you are what a part I find, of the team. Yeah. Because you're a part of the team and you also have your team, right? And the mm -hmm. more senior you become, you have your executive council or your C-level or you are in the senior leadership team right. or whatever. You have your colleagues and then you're leading a team. And one of the most powerful lessons that I have seen to make change actually stick is when the leader sits back and goes, huh, like my colleagues are spread out or they come from different functions or they have different, whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. Am I actually collaborating in a powerful way with all these different ideas as a colleague? When an individual begins to do that, when I begin to do that, well, then of course I can bring it to my team. Of course. Yeah. But I have to learn it for myself. And I absolutely agree with you. There is, and you see it in the retention data, mm -hmm. right? You see that the people who tend to stay are the ones who are the majority power identity in whichever setup it is. And the ones who are leaving faster are those that don't fit visually or emotionally into those categories. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the data is clear. That is so clear. Well, and even yeah. examples. So my example working in an R&D field like a while ago was we had every culture on the planet represented in my building. Okay. There were people from all shakes of the world. So it wasn't as much visual identity as it became uniqueness of idea and whose ideas, you know, actually got the, the voice and the floor. And, and that was really more about certain people in certain positions got to be heard more than other people in other positions. So yep. for, for my experience, although I completely relate to the visual identity piece of it, the, the next layer of cultural bad behavior is, is really yes. about the position thing. And it's about, 
you know, you have to do this because everybody else who came up in this rank did it too. And that is not exciting for anyone. I was recently in a networking group. It was by invitation only. It was global representation, gender inclusive, like all these things. Someone asked a question and the initial answer was like, well, step one, step two, step three, you have to go through this role and then you do this role and then you get this experience and then you get this certification and then you do this. And she goes, yeah. Why? And if you're still alive by the end of all that. And 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 the woman who was, it just happened to be two women who were initially talking to each other, but it was, you know, it was representative of all the genders. And the woman who had answered goes, well, oh, yeah, why? I thought, yeah, why? Yep. Powerful. You know, that's bold and balanced right there, right? Bold and asking and balanced and being open to explore. What is the Well, what do I want the answer to that question to be? right? What's the aligned answer versus the, the chirpy bird answer in my ear, because that's, and again, I had an amazing corporate experience. So let me not, you know, do that, but you are in a certain way aligned to a sort of a clone. It's, it's a bit like you're, you're part of this unit. You all have to sort of have this hive mentality kind of thing. So that is the struggle, especially in large corporates, is maintaining that distinct, unique identity and and figuring out how to how to live within that space. Yeah. So you keep saying aligned, and I'm thinking that you have a very specific perspective on aligned. Like what does it mean? Um, so so for me, alignment is so the words that I've heard used are aligned to self aligned to my truth, aligned to who I am. So I I feel as though, and this happened to me, I feel as though sometimes there will be a point in your life when you really know what you're doing. You really know what you're passionate about. You really know what you want, you know, what you speak, what you do, who you meet, how you assemble your, your community, your groups is all aligned with kind of where you are as a person. And then sometimes you have Mm. these spaces or moments where, gosh, I look around and I'm like, who are these people? You know, why am I doing that networking thing? And, and like, there's nobody that I enjoy spending time with in my circle. And what I'm really passionate about is nothing I'm spending my time on. So that for me, the alignment is first with self. So, So that goes back to being the rebel, right? I have a uniqueness that I am the only one who can bring to the world. That is true. So how do I make sure that I am true to that and in places and with people who I feel as though are advocating, facilitating that progression, you know, being a positive environment and a positive influence. So that's what I feel like sometimes gets lost, especially when we are progressing our careers, when we're doing those 25 steps that somebody says we have to do to get to a certain place, <laughs> you know, we, we are, we are so marching through the steps without really thinking about, does it, does the step make sense? Thank you. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. And as I was listening, I was thinking, oh yeah. I th- so usually when people work with me, it's because they want to take a really significant step. They're either really unhappy and they want to get happy. They want a specific promotion or relocation. They want more money. Most people who work with me make more money. 
and we talk a lot about like, who are yeah. you becoming? So if, if you are a global senior vice president and that's the six month, two year goal, who are you in that new reality? And then I love how you described alignment because that's actually the tough work. You know, how do you show up? Are you bold? Do you take a stand? Are you prepared? Do you listen? Is there a balance? Can you release? Can you make the decisions as you are becoming this newer Mm -hmm. version of yourself? Not that you leave all the other stuff around because, I mean, spoiler alert, because you just said it, but spoiler alert, a lot of the times it's about returning to what you think is really important. Like you said at the very beginning, Mm -hmm. that passion Mm -hmm. and bringing it. Yeah. Oh, that's very cool. So I am really interested after these stories and these insights. And you're, I mean, you obviously have a lot of experience. And who is a brave role model that you'd like to share with us from yep. your own life? So the woman I'm going to tell you about, her name is Thelma. And she is a story I told at the beginning of my book. I'm not going to tell you the whole story because that takes too long. But women or people in general who who represent a Thelma kind of story are the people that I find as my role models, the folks that I admire, because they have lived, you know, into their 80s or their 90s. You know, Thelma lived through segregation. She was a Black woman in the South. She lived through women not voting. She lived through only being allowed to have a job where she could clean other people's houses. She lived through having a family. She lived through a lot of heartache and death within the people who were close to her. And I met her near Mm -hmm. the very end of her life. And she continued from her hospital bed. At the time, I was a respiratory therapist. So I was working in the healthcare scenario, I was younger, working my 212s in a 16-hour shift and doing all sorts of crazy things when I was in my 20s. But I met Thelma near the end of her life and was there when she did pass. So for me, people who continue that brave behavior, that boldness through their life, and even in a point when they are seen by many to be at their weakest. She couldn't breathe. She couldn't really walk. She was like confined to a bed. She was brave. I walk into her room, never met her before, but people had told me about her. She was, we called them frequent flyers. A lot of lung patients have regular visits. So um, just based on their disease. Uh So people had told me about her. I walk into her room She probably looked at me for less than a minute and began to tell me things about myself. That's bold, right? Because I don't know her. She doesn't know me, but she in some way, shape or form had something inside of her that said she wanted to tell me something. So, and she did this with everybody. These people who continue to be bold in the face of, of, what is perceived as weakness, right? So this concept of 
negotiate from a point of weakness or be bold in the face of weakness, I find a lot of fascination with because I'm learning that your power is in that weakness. Your power really isn't in the position of strength. So I think that for me, Thelma is probably someone that I definitely say I admire. Anybody who has lived and been brave, it's it's probably straightforward for you to look back in your life and point to a point in time when you were brave, point to a specific incident when you were brave. Maybe you've got a few of them, but literally to have lived 80 or 90 years and continue through all of that, which seems insurmountable to those of us who didn't live through that, to continue to be brave on your deathbed is just amazing. So Thelma would be my example. Oh, that is beautiful. Yeah, we have no idea what we create in the world and who we influence and inspire. And it's those moments. Yeah, I call them the small moments of real bravery. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing. And what is the name of your book? You just like slid in there like, oh, the name of the book. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the name name of the book is Rebel Success for Leaders. Lead, grow, and sell fearlessly. So it's out print, audio, audible, you know, all the formats. So yeah. Oh, fantastic. So we know that that's one way people can learn more about you and get inspiration. Step into their bold and balanced. Where else can people follow you, get to know you better, contact you directly? So website, rebelsuccessforleaders.com. There's, I put the podcast replays, some videos from my speaking there, some blogs, so you can learn more about the stuff I say and the stuff that I write. I would love to connect with people on LinkedIn. That's my primary social media channel. And you know, messaging me there is great. I will always ask people who connect with me how they heard about me. So I'd love to hear that it came through Nicole's show. That would be awesome. So yeah, that's the way. Yes. And spoiler, you definitely want to connect because Charlotte is starting to make videos that are short and impactful. So in 90 seconds, you pull some really powerful insights out of there. So that is fantastic. I'm glad you're, I'm glad folks are, yeah, those are, those have been going really well and they've been fun to create. Yeah. I'll be announcing some stuff. We've got a a couple of new programs that'll launch. So I'm excited about that too. Cool. Well, thank you so much. And I'm really grateful that you shared some of your personal story because mm-hmm. there's so much wisdom that we can gather from everything you've put into the world, including your book. So yes. thank you. And thank you for having me, Nicole. This has been a great conversation, really easy to talk to, fun stuff to talk about. So thank you. Yes, for sure. All right. Until next time, brave it up. Bye, y'all. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Celebrate Brave podcast. If you're ready to build your brave, to live a life you love and create a career that matters to you, reach out. Together, we can spend time one-on-one to explore how I can help you. And until then, share this episode with people in your life, people who can join our movement to redefine brave, how we identify it, experience it, and celebrate it.